Hello, everyone. Amelia Taylor-Hawkberg here, Arcanex Managing Editor. The interview you're about to hear was recorded live as part of Arcanex's podcasting event series, Next Up, held at Los Angeles's Architecture and Design Museum on October 29th. We've hosted Next Ups before at Giant Jai Gallery in Los Angeles and at the inaugural Chicago Architecture Biennial. This time around, we're focusing on the LA River and the constellation of issues surrounding its redevelopment. With so much controversy and history surrounding the river, we wanted to do justice to its complexity, so we gathered a vast range of professionals, from artists and architects to planners and journalists, to share their perspective. We hope you enjoy this interview from Next Up, the LA River. So I guess we're ready to get started. We're going to talk to our first panelist. We have Francis Anderton, host of KCRW's Design and Architecture podcast, and Christopher Hawthorne from the Los Angeles Times. Um, so to start, to hear from both of you as non-LA natives, I'd like to hear what your first impressions were of the river as a piece of LA urbanism and as something that gave identity to the city when you first arrived. So Francis, why don't we start with you? Well, Let's see, I might be the oldest person in this room. So I remember when the movie Greece came out. And in fact, my I and my friends went to Greece, I think, five nights back to back and then proceeded to spend at least a month dressing up in Greece outfits and reenacting various scenes from Greece, you know, including the famous car race. So then when I subsequently moved to LA in 1991 and became great friends with um, a fellow that many of you in this room might have known, John Chase, and in those early, I know, lovely John, we miss him so much. And John and I used to go on various adventures around town. And in that time, going to downtown Los Angeles or going to the river was really a kind of strange and mystical sort of experience. And he and I somehow got down into the dry river base. And I can't even remember now how we did so because it all felt terribly illicit. And I found myself, you know, in the location from that movie. And it was sheer heaven, you know. So anyway, subsequently, of course, I understood that the river could not exclusively be the built realization of one's movie fantasies, you know, that obviously <laughs> the river needed to be far more than that. Um, but that early impression was a very, very strong one, for sure. Now, in 91, when I arrived, almost from the day I arrived, I heard river conversations. Um, I quickly met a man named Arthur Golding, who was the head of the uh, board of uh, on a journal that I was working for, for AIALA. And he and a cohort, I'm sure some of you in this room know him, were trying to get the Taylor Yard. They were already working on Taylor Yard. It was a conversation that was going on. And um, he was very engaged with river issues. I guess Folar was probably about seven years old at that time. So it was very much something that a, a cohort was already preoccupied with, but we'd have nowhere near, there was nowhere near the gravitational pull to the river that we have now. And then the riots happened, or the civil unrest. And that sort of, I think, changed kind of the energy for, for a while in terms of what people were preoccupied with. But then in 2002, I remember talking with Bill Fain, you know, Johnson Fain, some of you may know, and Bill Fain, you know, got page space in the Los Angeles Times to share his idea for a greenway, a river greenway, taking the LA River as the spine as of, of what would be a whole network, which now, of course, Frank is talking about. And many have talked about the idea of connecting LA through the greenways. To the extent I've tracked this, you know, it does feel as if we're, we're arriving at a moment now of a sort of intensity of energy around the river, but it certainly goes back over those decades. And you hear the same ideas sort of being revisited and the 
the primary one, of course, is this is uh, this linear um, shaft that goes through the city and how one's going to turn that into a kind of organizing sort of principle for the region. So I think that's enough for me for now. I should probably hand it over to Chris. But that Greece location may wind up being somehow changed. Um, I think like Francis, um, my first experience visually came through the movies and Hollywood. And then for me, it was really the first kind of intentional encounter with the river were through the literature on the city. And when I was teaching at UC Berkeley, just before I came to Los Angeles, in fact, when I got the job at the LA Times in 2004, I was teaching a class that was supposed to be on Shenzhen in China. And I convinced Orville Shell, who was the dean at the journalism school at UC Berkeley, where I was teaching. And I had a lot of architecture and planning students as well uh, to change the syllabus in about two weeks time and make it a class about Los Angeles so that I could get myself doing all the reading about the history of LA that I knew that I would be needing to. So in that class, reading Eden by Design, which was relatively new at that point, the Bill Deverell, Greg Heist book, bringing back the Olmsted plan, which significantly, I've just been looking, actually has a kind of afterword of a conversation between the two of them and Laurie Olin on the river, which of course is relevant again now that he's working with Frank's office on the river project. And then I think perhaps even more significant, reading the John McPhee Control of Nature uh, book, the section on Los Angeles, and really thinking about the ways in the, the, the ways in which the story of the river begins in the hills and this the kind of debris, the this whole battalion of debris basins that we have up in the foothills that collect all of this debris and really change, really preclude the possibility of what we think of as a, a river in the fully operational ecological sense down the hill. And and then when I got here, I started making some of the same pilgrimages to see, to walk in those spaces that I had seen and, and read about and, and started doing that as soon as I actually got got myself to L.A. I think in the public perception of what is going on with the river right now, there's a little bit of a unfair assumption that nothing has ever happened yet, and now everything is happening, um, when in fact the history of attempts to bring the river back into the public consciousness and really do a huge master plan with it have been going for decades. And I think that part of this is not exclusively an issue of journalism, but something that journalists have a unique opportunity to try to bring aspects of the river that are underreported to a general audience. So, and one way of doing that is, of course, through writing and criticism, but also through radio. It's just an inherently different medium that you can have a different feeling of communicating these ideas through. So I wanted to hear from both of you, what are the most underreported or least represented aspects of the river that as a journalist or someone working and bringing that information to the public, you feel are the most important that for people to know. Um, I'm happy to take that one. I think in certain ways it's the most important story, and you're right, I, I, I appreciate the format in terms of getting so many perspectives so quickly because it is a story that you can and really have to attack from so many different levels, and I think always have to keep politics at the center of that. So for me, I think, as your question implies, the, the biggest challenge is suggesting some of the history, uh, the long history of these attempts um, to really, not just to reimagine the river, but the ways in which it has operated at each chapter in its history in both utopian and really dystopian ways. So if you think about the founding of the city next to the river and the kind of history, mytholo you know, mythological history and, and real history of the city being connected to a decision to 
found this colonial outpost right next to the river. But then the fact that, and that was a very utopian gesture in a certain way, the idea, a certain idea of this city on the edge of the continent and its um, founding next to this river. And then very quickly that turned dystopian um, to the extent that there was um, really dramatic flooding. And what we think of as the plaza, the kind of founding site of the city is in fact in its third or maybe even its fourth location because of the unpredictable nature of the river in its, let's say, pre-concrete, pre-channelization era. And then it operated in the same really drastically different ways even as a channelized river so there's something very utopian incredibly ambitious and audacious like building the freeways in this decision to take 51 miles whatever we think about that now kind of infrastructural muscle and ambition that was required to think that way really required a belief in the ability of engineers to completely remake the landscape of an entire region not just a city and then again very fairly quickly just like the freeways that dream turned and you know that utopia turned into a dystopia and the idea of the, the dream of that kind of engineering prowess and expertise began to break apart, you know, by the 60s and certainly into the 70s as the environmental movement gained steam and as um, the, the, the first efforts to really, uh, in a grassroots way, if you think about the history of Fuller, for example, began to question that kind of infrastructural regime. And now when we think about a third sort of life for the river, as we think about plans to reinvent it now, they operate at both of those poles. Again, there's a there's a sense that, that it can be a kind of paradise, a kind of Arcadian landscape, which I think can be uh, naive. And there's also, I think, some also overdone dystopian uh, sort of skies falling uh, worries about the entire landscape of uh, neighborhoods along the river being remade. And as usual, the truth is uh, somewhere in, be- in between, but we we tend with the river as with so many things in Los Angeles to lurch between these um, th- these really extreme ways of thinking and imagining a kind of future series of futures for the city. So I, I think it's important to tell that history as a way of informing sort of how we frame the discussion about what we do with the river now. Well, I think Christopher just, you know, gave a wonderful summary of of how the river's been perceived and presented over all these years. In terms of, to your point about what we don't cover enough, which I think you wanted to find out, what, what do we think doesn't get covered enough? Maybe the piece that could be covered more is actually how the river is part of a global conversation about rivers with respect to the way we, uh, in relation to the to the conversation around resilience and how we have how many rivers have essentially been channelized and how we have built dams and and and, and we have we've got gotten rid of our natural deltas and our our soft edges you know and our river here seems to be an obviously kind of really extreme version of that but you know in cities all over the world that are dealing with concentrations of populations by their coasts you know they're having to reevaluate the role of the river and it's a kind of complicated discussion which is really hard to tell in sound bites one of the people that's sort of popped up periodically to get involved in the dialogue here in, in the last couple of years is this great guy from the Netherlands called Henk Ovink, who's, you know, Mr. Resilience. And he, and there's many people in this room that totally understand that relationship. But I feel as if that doesn't get much of an airing because it's really hard. And Henk had a really interesting idea about how, and again, 
there are we've got some of the best minds in this room right now so I don't mean to sort of credit you know keep keep crediting someone who's over in the Netherlands but he did he did make the argument that perhaps you know when thinking about the Olympics for 2024 you know how about fusing an ambition for the Olympics with an ambition for resiliency in LA and sort of making the river kind of part of that kind of larger idea so I suppose that's something I feel doesn't get so slightly short shrift because it's ju it's just so complicated. Sometimes the sexiest thing for a basic audience is like how much of the design is going to change from the channelized concrete version to a uh, Arcadian Wonderland, um, which that's, is a false binary. But yeah. that's the false binary that the media love, and the other false binary that the media loves is war between the Frank Gehry faction and the other faction, because the media loves conflict and they love human drama and they love the more that that more um, sort of fractious side of the story. Resiliency doesn't have any people you know there's no face of that story it's a really hard one to tell it's you can't see it you can't have drawings of it it's a sort of invisible but incredibly important story Christopher and Francis thank you both so much thank you